And do you know why I'm here at the back? I'm looking for the person who is the farthest away from me. And that looks as if it's you. <laughs> do you love Jesus? You do? So much? How about that? Isn't that wonderful? So much. I remember something like 30 years ago being in the meetings away back in, where was it? Charlotte. Oh dear. All those years ago. How many of you were around then? Stick your hand up. Oh, there's quite a lot of you. You weren't around then. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you were or you weren't. Do you love Jesus? Eh? A whole lot. Amen. Many of you young people have never seen you before. Hallelujah. <laughs> Supposing I said to you, <clears throat> I'm finished now. Get on with the meeting. What are you expecting out of this meeting tonight? Do you expect the preacher to preach? Or are you expecting the Holy Ghost to do something. What do you think? <laughs> well, I should think, seeing you're on the front row, you are saved. <laughs> Do you know this? In a boxing match, the best seats are all at the front. Well, this is pretty well filled up one way or another. 
How about that? Isn't it a pity you don't love Jesus? <laughs> do you? You do? Hallelujah. Amen. Well, <clears throat> you've already got your book open. Somebody's expecting something. I've come here tonight I am 95 Well when you get as old as that You can sort of do anything, can't you? <laughs> they don't really expect anything from a silly old man of 95. Oh, by the way, do you love Jesus? Who told you? Hey? Eh? Amen. Do you know what I'm doing now? I'm waiting. That's what I'm doing. I'm waiting to see if the Spirit of God will give me something special for this meeting you mean you don't have a a, 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 a a what a prepared sermon I finished with prepared sermons 40 years ago and I've never since prepared anything and I believe the highest is to look to the Holy Spirit of God to take his place in the meeting. That's what I'm waiting for now. I want to get out the road. Have you ever been in the road and stopped Jesus? Oh, by the way, how old are you? Nine. And you've never yet given your heart to Jesus. Oh, you have. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Well, you know, this is one of the things that happens. You can come to a place 
and, and people can take it for granted that you belong to Jesus and you don't. I mean, now look at this fella here. He's not old enough to have given his heart to Jesus. No. No. Well, we can begin somewhere. Why haven't you done it? Have you never said, Lord Jesus, I believe I need to take you as my Savior. And I'm going to do it tonight. Don't you think that would be a great night for you? No. No. biggest and best thing you'll ever do in your life is to give your heart to Jesus. And here you are, a great big fellow like you, you've never done it. Let me just say this to you before I leave you. If you live to be a hundred, and I'm only five years off it, you'll never do anything bigger or better in your life and give your heart it's about time you thought about it and there's no time like tonight tonight's a great time oh hallelujah hallelujah right <clears throat> I'm going to sit down now and I'm going to wait and see what the Holy Ghost will do. Brandon of Akasiko, Babakuar, Naldabashikavo. Do you believe in speaking with tongues? You don't? You do? Oh, you still do. Amen. Look at all these people on this side. Hallelujah. Cheer up. Jesus died for you. <laughs> Did you know that? Hallelujah. But you didn't know he'd... Uh, what about you? You do? Praise God. 
Amen. Well, <clears throat> I'm going back to where I came from. I could tell you many, 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 many stories. I could tell you of many, many things that God has done for me. Do you know I've been in something like, I think it is, I'm not sure, but I think it is, about 45 countries and you've nothing to say I'll tell you one little story that comes to me now <clears throat> many years ago I went to a country called Addis Ababa. And God sent me there. But before I got there, in those days, it doesn't work now, but in those days, anybody who traveled had to have not only a passport, but they had to have something else. An inoculation certificate. That sounds important, doesn't it? <coughs> I only got as far as halfway. I'd got to Rome. I got out the plane, I had to get a different plane, I got out the plane <clears throat> and the man said to me, let me look, I said there you are, he said do you know that your certificate was out two days ago? Oh, I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Well, he said, you're not going past me. Oh, I said, well, look, I am sorry. Surely you'd allow me a little bit of understanding. He says, you're two days out, and that's enough. You're not going past me what do I do he says you go down into the city of Rome and there you'll explain the situation and when you've had two days or three days in the city of Rome you can then go on with your journey 
Oh, no. Oh, yes. You don't go past me. I came back to him and I said to him, I'm so sorry. Surely you can overlook two days. He said, no. Are you telling me that I have to go back to England? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You can not go on with this journey. I stood there. The next plane was almost ready for going and I was supposed to be on it and I wasn't <clears throat> I went up to the man once again and I said is there no understanding could you he says I don't want to know you I don't want to see you go away I stood there with my back and looked at the man. He said, go away. And the Spirit of God came on those words. Go away. And I went straight by the man and I walked down onto the plane and I got on the plane. Well, you'd think that was the end of the matter. It was only the beginning of the matter. <clears throat> the plane left and my heart, oh, by the way, did you know you've got a heart? Did you know that hearts talk? Did you know that people can say all kinds of things if they listen to their hearts? Well, my heart started talking to me. And my heart said to me, Silly fool. Silly fool. You wait till you get to the other end. Then you're in trouble. I got to the other end. I walked off the plane. He looked at me. I didn't have something else that I needed. I walked up to the desk <clears throat> the man looked at me and he frowned at me I didn't know what to do. 
Have any of you ever been in a place where you didn't know what to do? I was in a mess. I didn't know what to do. I stood there I picked my luggage up and I was about ready for going out but there was only a little narrow gateway that led me out <clears throat> and the only time in years and years and years of travel I've gone through without showing my passport. The only time it's ever happened. But it did happen. And I was out. I was in Addis Ababa a number of days and the time came to leave. And my troubles, oh, by the way, you've got a trouble spot as well as me. It's called a heart. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Anybody here suffer from a troubled heart? Nobody. Oh, dear. Well, I looked, I picked my luggage up, and I came out, and I was free. But when the time went for going back home to England, I now had a great big trouble spot to get back through that gate to get back onto that plane when I didn't have passport I did have a passport but I didn't have the other visa and I came up and I offered it to the man he looked at it but he did not look at the one thing I thought he was going to look at. He missed it. I got onto the plane. I came home. And I'd gone through without showing my passport. Has anybody else here ever done that? It's not done. But it was done that time. And God brought me through. That's only one little thing that God once did for me. I'll tell you something more exciting. This would be 19... Oh, way back. 
Those were the days when preachers, important preachers, were at a Friday night meeting. And I was there, a young man. That wretched thing won't stop where it should go. Thank you. <clears throat> I had gone to listen to a big preacher. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. Now some of you know that name and know that he was a very, very important preacher many years ago. I'd gone to listen to him. I came out the end of the meeting. <clears throat> I picked my bags up and I moved out. Now, at that time, buses ran about every quarter of an hour. I'd missed my bus. Well, it didn't matter, did it? There's always another one. And the other one was coming. And in those days, I carried a piano accordion round. I had one. And a great big bag with books in. And there was my bus. I ran. The bus had already stopped. and had started again. I ran out with my two big bags and I got out and the bus was already in first gear. As I arrived there, it went into second gear and I leapt onto it and it was in second gear. I dropped my two bags There was no back end on the bus in those days, many, many years ago. And as I fell out, there was nothing to stop me. And I could have been that day the end of my story. But as surely as God is in heaven, a hand is placed at my back. I dare not say such a thing if it wasn't the truth. The hand of God was placed at my back. And I was saved on the bus. Things like that you don't forget. That's many, many, many years ago. But it was real. And Jesus was there to look after me. This is your meeting as well as mine. 
I am not a one-man show anymore. I've shared a couple of stories with you. I may share some more before the night's out. But I'm sitting back comfortably here. Have you anything to say tonight? You know, for uh, what, what would happen if uh, somebody come and stuck a microphone in your hand just now? Would it be a shock or would it be a challenge? Or, or would it be that which you're looking for? You know, the, so many, I suppose, mentors and people we've looked in the past. You know, it's like the day of, of the passing of a baton. You know, there is one generation going and another one coming. And I believe everything we've learned from these people should become almost second nature. You know, where it becomes part of us, where our, everything we believe becomes part of our lifestyle and not just something we've heard in a building. You know, and I believe these are... It's, it's a very challenging day where I believe the, the body of Christ is being challenged, it's being shaken. And, and many of us, we, we don't really know what we believe. And I believe God is bringing issues like this to bring to the surface uh, a stability, a security in Jesus Christ. Where Can you hear him all right? Can you hear me? He thinks I speak a foreign language. <laughs> so we're being challenged concerning these issues because there is a great shaking going on. And, you know, I believe God is, is dispensing with a lot of unreality to bring something that everything that we hear from God, that when we listen, we listen to what the Holy Ghost is saying, you know, and, and I believe everybody is, there is the witness of the Holy Ghost in every person when something that is from Him, it just strikes you, you know, whether it's shouted, well, I suppose you could say whether it's shrieked or squeaked, you know, this is God. You know, for years we've taken things that have been excitement as anointing, you know, and we've missed certain issues. And I believe God is doing a, a tremendous thing in these days where He's challenging where the, the people that have drawn us on are going on, but yet we must go on and carry with us them that are behind us. You know, and I believe these times like this can be a real challenge, you know, for, for everybody concerned, but this is where, the, I suppose it's an American saying, where the rubber hits the road. You know, and uh, it's time that we start to develop, to learn what do I really believe? You know, I believe there's a, a story of a man who was lying there. Uh, he, he was dying and, you know, so oh, get me the priest, get me the priest. And uh, the priest came and said, well, what, what do you believe? He says, well, I believe what my church believes. And he says, well, what does your church believe? He says, oh, they believe what I believe. And he said, well, what's that? He says, I don't know. <laughs> you know. We need to be rooted and grounded yeah. in Jesus Christ in these days. And Amen. <coughs> Tell you a little story. 
kids bless their hearts I've had nine <clears throat> five girls and four boys my oldest boy is still alive he's 66 that's my son 66 this place The father hated cats and he would not have a cat. Well, what happened? The kids kept saying, Dad, can we have a cat? Can we have a cat? Can we have a cat? And each time the father said, No, no, you're not having any cat. That went on for quite a long time. But what happened was this. The time came when the poor father, he'd been worried and worried by kids who would not have a cat. Finally, he gave in. And they had a cat. But you know, the funny thing was, was they had the cat, they did not have his smile. And of course, if you don't have your daddy's smile, well, what have you got? You know, dad wouldn't have a we're not having a cat. We're not having a cat. Anyway, one day, this cat, he climbed a tree. And he was up the tree. And he couldn't get down. And they were all so upset and so worried about this cat up the tree. Couldn't get him down. Push, push, push. Come on, push, push, push. Couldn't get him down. Do you know what happened? I'll tell you. Somebody else in the district saw this cat up the tree. And he went out and he managed to get the cat down the tree. But the cat didn't go back to the people who didn't like him. And he decided to have another home and to be very nice and kind and he, he did that. One day, this man, the bad man, the grumpy man, the man who didn't like cats, he went into a shop. And in the shop, 
he saw a man buying cat food. And he says, hello, I didn't know you had a cat. Oh, yes, he said, we've got a cat. He says, you're never going to believe this. But he says, one day, one day, I went out. And do you know what happened? The cat had gone up the tree and couldn't get down. And the kids went and they got him down. And now I'm busy buying cat food <laughs> for a cat that I never wanted, never liked, but I've got it. And that is a proper, true story. I'm going to sit down again now. If you don't mind, I'm going to take my liberty off it. Certainly. What are we hearing tonight? What's God saying to us? God's after something. Amen? First thing I heard out of our brother about 1977 was that your problem has never hindered God and your problem's never hindered you. Your problem's not your problem. Your problem is your attitude towards your problem. So what's God saying to us? What's God after? I believe, I want to look at a verse of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3. And I'm sure many of you have heard much of the ministry of Brother Arthur, all about eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm asking here tonight, where do we get our information? Where did you get your information? Our hearts flutter often about a myriad of things. I've got a spot on my chest. It bleeds when I get in the shower. For months it talked to me. My heart did. Finally I said, Lord, I'm settling with you. I am going to get a exam in December. But you know what? I believe my God is God and I refuse to allow fear to dominate my life. And God's dealt with me along this line. One day he spoke to me and he said, Mike, why do you have such a stubborn refusal to believe? You ever had a heart like that? Stubborn refusal to believe. But in Genesis he challenged them about eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've heard Brother Arthur speak of this. How good is the knowledge of good and how good is the knowledge of evil when God has forbidden us to eat of it? You know, Brother Arthur uses a word. He says, how good is that which leads me away from God and how evil is the evil that brings me to Him? I once heard a story about a guy who won the lottery. And I want to get to this verse, so I appreciate you giving me a little bit of liberty. But a fellow who won the lottery. And instead of uh, getting his $5 million, whatever it was, he got a characteristic trait. And up to this point, he had quit everything he'd ever started. And uh, they came to him after 10 years, and he was quite disappointed that he get, didn't get his $5 million. 
But at, they came to him after 10 years and they said, well, what did you think? He said, you know, I was upset when I didn't get my money. He said, but now after 10 years, he said he received the gift of endurance. That was the characteristic trait. He said, I see now that if I would have got that $5 million, I could have continued to quit everything I ever wanted to quit. He said, now, he said, I've been a manager at this store for 10 years. He said, when I was first won it, my marriage was on the rocks. But my wife and I are doing well. We don't see from God's vantage point, do we? And the scripture challenges us in, in Genesis chapter 3. He's talking to them about they had hid themselves in the garden. They'd hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And it says in verse 9, And the Lord came to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he says, Who told you so? Who told you so? Where did you get your information? Where did you get your information? And that's a big issue. Where do we, the people of God, get our information? And our brother's been talking out of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's your heart. Your heart will talk all kinds of junk. It'll tell you you're going to be dead tomorrow. It'll tell you you're going to get killed driving down the road. It'll tell you don't get on that airplane because you'll get killed. But where are we getting our information? And I feel challenged about this because, you know, God calls us to do things. And He doesn't give us a guarantee, does He? He doesn't give us a guarantee. It's called the life of faith. Well, all of us are challenged when God tells us things. But there's a big, there's a big principle here that I hear God bringing tonight. And that is, we need to examine where did the information come from. My wife always challenges me about going to the doctor. Well, you know what? I, I go to people's houses and they ask me, does my house need painting? And I'm saying, you're asking me? I'm a painter. <laughs> what do you expect me to tell you? You go to a doctor, what do you expect them to tell you? Now, it's good to have a doctor. We're not talking about that. But where does the book stop? Where, who am I trusting in? Do I believe there's a great physician beyond the natural physician? I believe there is. And the big issue is getting our information from the right source. Amen? I'm sure we could pick this up more. But that's what I felt to share. What's God saying? Where am I getting my information? Where am I getting my information from? The right information, if it's from the wrong place, is not welcome to God. I remember when I, oh, I was once a little boy, you know, long, long time ago, but I was a little boy. And I remember I went to school. <clears throat> I didn't go until I was seven. 
father was a doctor and in those days they could pull the strings and do all sorts of things. Anyway, <clears throat> when I got to school, what happened? The little girl who was next to me in class, she was not only pretty, but she was clever. And she was getting about seven out of ten sums right. I was getting two. So I had to do something about this. And I'll tell you what I decided to do about it. I would lift the desk lid up so that the teacher couldn't see me. And behind the desk lid, I would look across at Rhoda and say, what do you get for number two? What do you get for number three? And she'd point. She wouldn't say anything, but she'd point. And then when I saw her answer, I'd copy it. And I went up, I went up from about two to about eight. And I thought, isn't this great? But one day the teacher said, <clears throat> Arthur Bert, come here. I came out. And I can hear that teacher saying now, Tell me, how did you, how did you with these answers, with these workings, get these answers? Well, I couldn't tell her the truth, could I? Well, I didn't, whether I could. I could have told her the truth. But what I did, I just said nothing. The teacher said to me, in future, I don't care how right your answers are. If the workings are wrong, I'm going to mark you some wrong, even though your answers are right. That was a big, big thing to have to face when you're only a little boy of about seven. How you can have right answers the wrong way. And I, that's what I was getting. But that finished that. There were no more after that. The teacher said, listen, I don't care, I don't care if you have got wrong workings, I am not going to give you a correct answer. That was a big, big, big sum to learn when you're only a little fella. Excuse me.
Have you uh, have you learned that lesson yet? Have you? It doesn't matter if you've got your workings wrong. The big boss up in the sky is not going to let you get away with it. You must have the right answer. How often we have been in a place where we got the right answer the wrong way. Psalms 51.6 says God desires truth from the end of hearts. Yeah. How many of us have got right answers the wrong way? Now think what I'm saying. Because if you haven't got it, I'll give you it again. If you are getting answers to your life the wrong way, God isn't going to bless you the right way. And how often it's done the wrong way. Well, I got the right answer the wrong way. Have you done that? Anybody done it? No, not a soul. <laughs> not a soul. Somebody put a hand up. Not one. Not one. You've never got right answers the wrong way. Well, listen, I'll tell you in the name of the Lord, from tonight, every time you do it, God will be after you. Look out. You're not going to get away with it. You'll not get away with it. Every time. Oh, well, you see, it's like this. Uh, it, 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 it's so many and so many and so many. God says, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. And if you continue to get answers the wrong way, you'll find God is after you. Oh, dear. Let's go and sit down again. Can I ask, does somebody have the message translation? Can somebody slip it to me? Can I have it for a second? I want to read a verse that's coming to really brings it out. He says, These words that I speak to you 
are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Let me stop there a second. We had a word come in one of our conventions where Brother Arthur's son had, had set out the, the kitchen floor and popped the lines and thought he could just turn his son-in-law loose to lay the tiles. And he went into another room to come to go do something else, and he came back, and guess what? It's all wrong. Got off, looked horrible. <laughs> and the word came that unless you build on the right foundation, often things in your life have to be destroyed and started over. A lot of us are doing a lot of unlearning, aren't we? Because we learn things the wrong way. I've been learning about the love of God for the last 10 years because I learned it the wrong way. I didn't know it was unconditional. You've got to get it right or you build wrong. And the scripture says here, these words are foundational, words to build a life upon. Now listen to this. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who has built his house on a solid rock. Rain pours down, the river's flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on a rock. Now get this. i got to turn the page. But it says, but if you use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who's built his house on the sandy beach. And when the storms rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. That's a tremendous word. Because folks like us that are me, same faith for me, I've been around in this for 30 years. I could tell you all the right answers. But brother and sister, if it ain't working in my life, Steve says, ineffectiveness has a very loud voice. God's looking for truth on the inward parts. And the only way I'm going to get real with God, or God's going to get real with me, is that I get real with God. I have to embrace reality in my life. I have to embrace my unreality. I think I heard a word the other day. Thank you. The other day, it says, Truth is a confrontation with unreality in my life. Truth is a confrontation. You say you love God? How can you love God whom you don't see? The scripture says this. If you don't love your brother whom you do see. That's a confrontation. Is this truth? In Bible studies and hearing this stuff is not enough. I have to have truth of the reality in my life. I said to my wife about 10 or 15 years ago, I came out of the faith movement. I was a preacher. I was dangerous. Always went to the Word of God for everybody else to hear. The first person who needs the truth is me. 
God forbid I hear the truth for you and try to set you right. I'm the first man who needs to be set right. And I said to my wife 15 years ago, I said, I don't need to hear what, I'm in, what I am in Christ. I need to know who I am in myself. And for 15 years, God's been telling me who I am in myself. I believe I'm always one inch away from catastrophe. I'm one inch from anything that could happen. From stealing, to lying, to cheating, to adultery. I'm kept by the grace of God. And something else comes to me that God dealt with me this year. I read it in a book, and it blessed me. He said, whores and prostitutes and publicans are going in first because they understand the grace of God. And some of us are a little bit embarrassed about that because we think we're better than that. And the word that went on that he said that so pricked my heart while so, he said, whores, prostitutes, and publicans are going in first. While some of us, this hurts. And this is for me. While some of us are having our alleged virtue burn out of us. Brother and sister, if you've been in this thing as long as I have, we get dangerous. We get Pharisee. It's rot. It's garbage. We stand by the grace of the living God. Can I have just another moment? Take you to a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And what I hear this right now in my heart is don't forget where you came from. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's, let's look at 4 real quick. Verse 7. Who maketh you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You ever taken the grace of God to your own character? The grace of God is for the glory of God. And if God's not getting the glory, He'll withdraw His grace. And you'll find yourself lacking. Now the greatest thing you can do is say, why am I lacking? God, give me the truth of why I'm in lack. But most of us, uh, let me say for myself, I know I had to buy the truth to a Bible study one night, and I went into my brethren and said, I'm flat. I'm empty. Do you, you ever want to tell anybody your condition? But God will meet you in truth. And if you won't humble yourself in truth, God will withhold His grace on a righteous principle because He gives His grace to the what? Now this is just not answers. This is where the rubber meets the road. But here's something I feel and I'll give it back. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. No, not there. Verse 8. 9. 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulteresses, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of us. Do we remember where we came from? Do you dare believe that God lifts His hand off of you one second? A verse came to me while I was in Wales recently, and it said in Lamentations 3, it says, If it were not for God's mercies, I would be consumed. I was there five weeks without my wife. You know what God showed me? If it were not for my mercies, you'd be consumed with adultery. You've got to know who you are and what you're capable of. If you don't, we're dangerous. Here's one last thing I feel. Man went to the doctor. He said, he said Doc, I've got terrible headaches and I don't know how to get rid of them. And the doctor said, Well, how much do you smoke? Oh, doctor, I wouldn't smoke. Wouldn't smoke, wouldn't smoke, wouldn't smoke. He said, Well, how much do you drink? Wouldn't drink. Doc, wouldn't touch the filthy stuff. He says, well, how many dirty magazines do you look at? Oh, doctor, I'm in bed by ten. Wouldn't dare do such a thing. Doctor says, oh, no problem. I know what your problem is. Your halo's screwed on too tight. Being real with God is tough. Being real with yourself is tough. I've practiced sin before, and the only way I got free was I said, Lord, these are hurtful words. Lord, I love this more than I love you. Oh, God, please forgive me. Truth has a price. It'll cost you. It'll cost you unreality. It'll cost you. And would to God we the people of God could get related in such a way that we could get real with God and real with one another. And we don't have to project such an image of togetherness. My, our God loves us. He loves us. There's nothing I could ever do to stop him from loving me just the way he loves me right now. And there's nothing I could do to get him to love me more. And to rest in the love of God and to believe that anything that I see, he's already seen. And it doesn't change him a lick. And that allows you to deal with your garbage. I keep saying I'm going to stop one more time. This man said one day with his son, he was ministering, he had nine children, his wife was caring for a few, and he was care and, and, and the others needed some help. Now this is graphic, but it's real and it's not horrible, horrible. But one of his boys came to him, if I understand the story right, and he was in desperate need. And right down his little leg, with some brown goo. He was in desperate. 
and he looked up to his dad and said, Dad, I might be in a mess, but I'm your mess. <laughs> Folks, we can do that to our Heavenly Father. Daddy, I might be in a mess, but I'm your mess. And the God who said for you to sit down and consider the cost before you started to build, don't you think he lives by his own sermon? Our Father considered us before he ever took us on board. And he is not a dirty worker. I asked Arthur one day, Arthur, what is a dirty worker? He said, a dirty worker is a man who leaves the job without finishing it. I'm here to tell you how God is not a dirty worker. If he started something in you, brother and sister, you can dare get real enough to let him do his business. Sit comfortably. He loves you all the same. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I have something to say to you all. I don't think you'll ever see me again. I don't think so. I've arrived at that place at 95 where I think it's time to call it a day. Many of you have listened to me for years. Now I want to leave with you one particular word. And I want you to examine this word, see what you think of it. In 1940, <clears throat> I was in prison. I was in prison because, well, it doesn't matter why. I wasn't actually in prison because of my sins. I could have been, but I wasn't. I was in prison because of the world war. And when I was in prison, it was customary in those days that prisoners went round in twos. And this man, he'd got to have somebody, so he tacked himself onto me. And he started swearing and cursing and this, and he swore and cursed and so on. I said to him, I said, listen, this isn't a nice place, it's a prison. Had you not noticed that? Oh, he says, I'm a tough man. I've been up the Yukon. I've been a political prisoner here. Well, I said, what are you moaning about? He says, I'm moaning because I can't get a bag. You know what a fag is? Cigarette. 
I said, I've got good news for you. I come onto tobacco this week and I don't smoke. And as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> you can have my tobacco. So, of course, I made a friend for life, didn't I? Every week he was there. One week, I lost my temper with him. I was wrong, terribly wrong. I blew my top. I didn't swear at him, but I felt like it. And God dealt with me, and God said to me, How dare you, how dare you judge this man when you are no different. Oh, but I don't smoke. He says, yes, you do. But I don't. He says, yes, you do. And I learned a tremendous lesson in prison. God said to me, what you are seeing is my grace in your life and you're taking credit for grace when actually but for my grace have you ever thought of this how many of you who drive once in a while do the wrong you know you've done the wrong thing. You're convinced about it. God says to you, there you go, but for my grace. How many in this meeting have done the wrong thing? Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You did the wrong thing. <clears throat> if Jesus didn't forgive, as far as I'm concerned, heaven would be empty. How about you? I stand here tonight totally, absolutely, altogether in the blood of Jesus. And without that blood, I have nothing. There go I, but for the grace of God. The Word of God says, <clears throat> Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, the judges. Did you know that? Did you? You only stand forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. There isn't one person who could be here tonight except 
because they're forgiven. You know, you've chased somebody, you've judged somebody, and then God showed you, thou that judgest, doest the same thing. And I'm suggesting tonight, and with this, I'm going to sit down and finish. Cheer up. <laughs> but there is nothing that you've ever done outside that isn't covered by the blood of Jesus. And this is, I believe it could be my last message. I'm glad to be with you. I thank you. I'm so pleased to see you all. Forgive me for failure. Forgive me because I cannot minister as I once did. I love you all. God bless you. Well, we've enjoyed Arthur for a long time, and I just want us to give him a give a hand to the Lord in Arthur. I'm going to I'm going to pray for Arthur and and let's we're going to I'm going to dismiss you. So if anybody would like to come up here and join me and lay hands on him, be a blessing for him. <clears throat> it's, it's sort of like the end of an era. I think I'll have Don pray for him. Father, there's just not enough words in us to speak of the love that you've poured out to us through this man. Lord, and I know that he gives you all the praise and all the glory for everything that he's ever done through you and everything that you've ever done through him. But Lord, he's been a blessing to us and you've blessed us, Lord, with your presence through him, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for this, your servant. And I thank you, Lord, for the years that you've given him to us and the nuggets of wisdom, Lord, that you've spoken to us through him and the lives, Lord, that has been changed by you through this man, your servant, God. And I ask you, Lord, to pour out your blessings on him. And I ask you, Lord, to bless him mightily and love him, Lord, because we all do. We love him mightily, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you can be dismissed. If you'd like to come speak to Arthur, that would be good.